Beards for Radio. Sasha, how you doing, man? Joseph, what's up, man? You all right? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, before we get started today, I just want to say RIP to uh, Stan Lee. Obviously, we talk about that on our show. Um, feel like the way, you know, the comics that have come out since Stan Lee created Marvel have been revolutionary. And yeah, that's what I got to say about him. He's just a great entertainer. Yeah, definitely will be missed. That dude is the reason why my childhood was awesome. Him and George Lucas. And um, it, it, it sucks to see him go, but this is life. I, I feel like that man has lived 95 years, and he's lived 95 great years, man. He's touched millions, saved millions of lives. So, yeah, most definitely. Yep. Uh, favorite Stan Lee cameo in the MCU? Ooh, that's a tough one, man. There's so, so many good ones. Um, yeah. God, I'd have to go back and see, but I like the ones that were um, <clears throat> him and the Guardians of the Galaxy, too. Th- those are those ones, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy World's pretty good. But that's a tough one. I think they're all great. You know? yeah. I loved uh, him cutting Thor's hair in Ragnarok. I thought that one was hilarious. I thought it was like, you will not cut my hair or you will suffer the wrath of Thor. And then, like, his hair cutting machine like triples in size and Thor's like, please kind sir, do not cut my hair. <laughs> but yeah, but, dude, uh, it just it sucks it sucks having him gone, man. But his dude, that dude's legacy is gonna live on forever. You know, yeah. he created guys that are forever, you know what I'm saying? So you know, if we go through another, you know, age where people gotta look back and and, and see our hieroglyphics or whatever. I think Stanley is going to be at the top of you know, you know the history books if bearing that the world doesn't blow up have to start over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyways, on today's show we got um, we're going to talk about The Walking Dead and uh, a big change that happened recently to their format, their entire show, I guess. Um, and then just updates on Michigan State, Michigan football. Also, some basketball in the mix, some college basketball. Excited to talk about that. I know Michigan's got a big matchup this week. And, um, you know, the Lions just doing Lions things, man. So, wherever you want to start, take it away. Hey, man, let's start with The Walking Dead, man. Let's talk off with this Rick, the last Rick episodes. Like, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen the Rick episodes or haven't been caught up to Walking Dead. Turn away right now. We'll give you five seconds. Okay, that's up. All right, <laughs> Walking Dead, Rick, man. Um, you know, they played us. These these are going to be the last two Rick episodes. Yeah, they got us, and everybody's thinking, uh, as as TWD fans, oh, it's Rick's last two two uh, uh, episodes. Yeah, true. But now they're going to put on three feature length movies. AMC is doing this. And it's going to be all all Rick in these three movies. So Rick's adventure isn't done yet. We don't know what's happening to Rick after they're going to be done with these three feature-length movies. But yeah. 
it's not over for Rick. Rick's still going to be Rick Grimes. It's still going to be intricately playing him. It's just going to be three movies. What happens after that? No clue. What happened with the helicopter ride? Yeah. yeah. You know, I knew, I knew coming in that it was going to be Rick's last season. I didn't know we were only going to get five episodes of Rick. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I would have preferred if they didn't have like a huge countdown for us like three episodes till rick's gone two episodes oh this week's gonna be rick's last episode because to me it kind of killed the suspense you know right like at the end of uh his second to last episode when the horse you know bucks and he falls and gets impaled um i I wasn't surprised or shocked i wasn't like oh no like i was like oh that's how it happens that's how it's gonna go okay you know like I feel like season nine so far has been a lot better than season seven and season eight were just my opinion. Um, And, you know, it was a very compelling episode. I liked how they brought Shane back in his hallucinations and um, Herschel and Sasha, you know, he had a lot of good moments and I, I know they're doing the whole movie thing. Uh, You discussed that, but you know, it's, a, it's one of those situations where I think it would have been better to just let him have that hero's death, literally going out in a blaze, you know? That would have been so fitting. Yeah, most definitely. I think I think from reading, like, what happened, I think Andrew Lincoln was really, really missing being with his family, being away from his kids for, like, three, four months at a time. I, I think it was wearing on him. And, I, like, like he said in interviews, it was easier – when the kids were younger, you know what I'm saying? He's like, he's like, but now we can't move them around as much. They got school. He's like, and it's hard to tell my kid, you know, I'm going to be gone for four months. I'm shooting a zombie movie in Atlanta. You know, he's been doing this for like damn near a decade. So I could understand where that is coming from. And then people can still kind of get their fill of Rick with movies because right now he's at home with his family and him. And I think Gimple are going back and forth with the script. So I think it gives him a lot of time to be with his family. Um, he, it's going to take a few months, few months, I believe, just to shoot the, the feature-length movies. So each movie is going to take about two to three months to shoot. I think it gives him enough time to be with his family. Um, but then again, we don't know what's going to happen to Rick after, you know, these movies that they're talking about. So I think, I think what The Walking Dead and AMC and Gimple and the whole, you know, the writing team are trying to do is give Andrew Lincoln, you know, what he needs, his family, his time with his family, but they're also trying to give us walking dead fans more of, more of Rick, which, you know, right. it, it might not work out, but you know what? I would have liked to see heroes death as well. I think if these, if these, if these movies don't go well, then everyone's gonna be like, yeah, we're just, you're going to kill Rick off that of these three movies. Anyway, just one, just, you know, just kill him off in the last one. Yeah, you know. Um, plus, I'm sure when he signed on to play Rick, I'm sure he didn't think The Walking Dead would get all the way to nine seasons. Like, that's still crazy to me that a zombie show got nine seasons and probably more. Um, but, you know, uh, Rick leaving the show, possibly Maggie too, uh, wasn't the only big change. Uh, they jumped ahead, I think, three or four years into the future uh, right at the end of that episode. Six. Six, six years. Year okay. Jump. Yeah. Six years. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of things are different now. Um, it seems like there's a strained relationship between the hilltop 
and uh, the rest of the people in the kingdom and uh, Alexandria. Seems like, uh, you know, Carol grew her hair out. That's probably the most shocking thing is seeing Carol with long hair. Yeah. And Carol's badass move by setting those people on fire. I'm like, bro, what? Jeez, oh man, you're Ruthless. Ruthless old gray-haired lady now. But yeah, it's, um, we haven't seen how the hilltop looks like, you know? So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see because Michonne's headed there with the, with the people who said that they couldn't stay there. So I'm, I, I'm really wondering how the hilltop looks like and, and what the see ahead for next week's episode. Yeah. Like, if I was those people, I, they shouldn't get their hopes up, man. <laughs> if, it, if there's such, like, a strained relationship between Maggie and the hilltop and everybody else, if Maggie's still there, I don't know what's happened to her. Um, then, yeah, those people will probably get turned away at those gates as well. Yeah, you know, it, it all depends on like you know, Maggie's mood at the moment. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously she's she left Negan alive, and I think it's I think it's cool that uh, what's her face, uh, little Judith goes and talks to him, but still knows still knows who he is. You know, like that the math comment she made about he's like, well, you know, you help me with your math. He's like, she's like, you don't need you don't need to be a good person to know math. You know what I'm saying? She's like, the numbers aren't gonna, you know. Numbers aren't going to discriminate against you, you know. I'm not going to go. Yeah. I'm not going to come. I'll come to you about math. Other things, probably not, you know. And it's so cool to see a little girl know that, especially living in post-apocalyptic zombie land. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm glad that Negan didn't die in the six years uh, that we jumped over, because I feel like he's still going to have a moment where he contributes his evil and his badassness to the show or maybe not evil, but you know, his from a different perspective being, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with that too. Um, who knows if he still has it in him. Right. Cause we saw him beaten down, broken, you know, he was like a child, like, no, I don't want to go back in my cage, you know? Right. Uh, when he, yeah. Like, that's what I thought when he was like, no, no. I was like, Oh man, this is pathetic. Like, this is sad. This may, that broke my heart seeing that dude two years ago who like walked out of the RV and was like, well, 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 you know, he was so badass, smooth talking, didn't give a shit. He was, he did what he needed to do. And now, you know, begging for death and crying. And it's, I hope, I hope we see him rise to that level again and be the, the bad guy, the big, bad Negan. I mean, yeah, but I think it'll be too it'll be too redundant if that happens. You know what I'm saying? It's just like yeah. Negan ha- Negan can't go back to what he was. I feel like he he's changed as a person. I don't I don't know. You know, I'm just you know from the outside looking in. You know what I'm saying? Six years right, in the cage right. and like you know, I, I think he he's he's fond of little little Judith. Um, right. He was fond of Carl was fond of Carl, so I think he has it in him. I, I don't think he's a bad dude. I just think he's gone to, like, a lot of, by most of the, most of the people on, you know, Walking Dead, they've all done, like Michonne said, you know, every, you know, you're here. You know, we all have to, all had to have done something to be here at this moment, you know. <clears throat> so I thought that was really poignant. Also, when Rick was going back and talking to, like, Herschel, Sasha, and Shane, I read later on that, um, they all represented something. I read that Herschel represented heart, 
Shane represented courage. Sasha represented wisdom. And his Mushon one, it represented home. So I thought it was kind of cool. But then again, it's like, why didn't he see Glenn? Why didn't he see Carl? You know what I'm saying? You know, those were his boys. Glenn was his right-hand man. Carl was his son. I don't understand why they went back and did not see those two characters. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or so, Lori, his his wife. Or exactly, you know, and like they did it, they did it with Herschel. Herschel's the guy who played Herschel just recently passed away. So it's yeah. like so it's not like they didn't have it in the makings. They didn't they they I feel like they knew it was going down. Why not have a scene with Lori, you know, Glenn and Carla? I think I think you could have left Shane or, or Sasha out of it and, and put in, you know, Lori or Carl because if Sasha represented wisdom, you know, Carl was Carl being the young son of Marvel was the wisest to see that you know we can't be living like this anymore. We need this Absolutely. in the future. You know what I'm saying? So I felt I, I personally feel like Carl would have been the better person over Sasha for the wisdom thing because you know if it wasn't for Carl, I don't think the whole what's going on right now, the 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 view for the future, the dream for the future is important, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Just just my take on it. And um another thing before we move on, uh I thought the biggest takeaway from last night's episode, uh the newest episode. So again, spoiler alert if you're still listening. Um dude, the walkers are developing. Like they're talking to each other. Yes. The whispers. Yeah. They're walker talkers, man. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um I I guess they're calling them whispers cuz I was like when I watched that scene with uh with uh god uh who was it? It was Mullet dude. It was uh Eugene. It was Mullet Dude and the Mexican chick. Eugene and uh, what's the Mexican chick's name? I'm just going to drive a blank on both of them. Uh, Rosita. Yeah, I was like, Rosita. are they Rosita? I'm like, I'm like, are they talking? They talk. I looked it up, and I guess like what the official name for them are are the Whispers. So yeah, they're they're evolving, which is which is to me kind of cool because it's about time they've been. It's 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 about time, you know, they evolve because. It, there has to be something, you know. Like, you right. know, I know they're not—they're undead, but they're living in them, in in a manner of speaking. And all living creatures kind of evolve, so it's kind of cool to have them do that. I just want to see where it's going to actually go. Right. Um, especially, you know, walkers have been around for what in this universe, like eight, nine years now, at least. Well, if it's season. And then you add on the the six the six years. You're talking about fifteen to twenty years, maybe. You know, right, right. But yeah, I thought that was crazy. Um, like I had my sister over the other night, and we were I caught her up on the the episode beforehand where uh you know Rick's last episode, and then we saw the preview, and you know they showed the the preview scene of um Rosita and Eugene covering themselves in mud, and you hear the kind of muffled like, "Where are they?" And I, I, I didn't catch it. And that was like my second time watching that scene. My sister was like, what? They can't talk. I was like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. She was like, no, like rewind that shit. And you'll see, like they said, where are they? And I was like, what? And then I heard it. And then when that scene came up in last night's episode and like they were having full fledged conversations with each other. Um, it's, I think it's exciting because 
now you can't just when you're cornered by walkers just you know kill them slash them in the head like now there is a little bit of thought that has to go into it like they're not just walking around aimlessly like you see them gathering in a field and not just walking around going whichever way there's a noise like now there's a thought to it that's crazy right yeah they're like they're like they're like almost like pattering out and like greeting out like they're 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 like they're like you know when there's like uh when somebody's missing and they call a town and the town sweeps sweeps everything i think they have that kind of mentality where they're like they're greeting out and they're just they're sweeping. Okay, we're going to go here. You guys are going to go there. We're going to go here. It's playing out methodical now. You know what I'm saying? The horde isn't just aimlessly walking to sounds, sights, or people. You know what I'm saying? They're probably – they're 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 methodic about it now. So that's kind of crazy to see. You know, you, right. you, you don't think about that now. They're actually scheming on how to you know, eat human beings. You know, right. it's kind of crazy to think about it. But, you know, it's it, it adds in a whole new dynamic. Like Eugene said, that whole giant herd did a random U-turn. Like, when they went to that radio tower to try to do that thing for Father Gabriel, you know, try to send out a signal, you know, you right. could see, like, the walkers from far away and they weren't anywhere near, and then all of a sudden they're heading towards them. So they did a – the whole group of walkers did a U-turn and, like, started heading towards where the people were. And there wasn't, like, a big sound or anything that set them off either. Yeah, it's they're getting wiser and they're evolving, and I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm all so we'll see how this the, the rest of the season takes off. Yeah, I'm all for the changes. Um, definitely, yeah. So we could go Michigan or Michigan State. Uh, take your pick. Let's go. Let's let's talk about football first, and so we can go into basketball. Um, let's talk about uh, states um, football game first. I'll, I'll I'll throw some stuff out there. Let you kind of take over on it. Um, really what I took away from the Michigan State, uh, Ohio State game is that it was a few plays that really, that really were deciding factors in this game. I think Haskins and Weber showed up what they should have, but I think everybody else was really lackluster. Um, I think, uh, Cody White, he had over a hundred yards receiving. He's probably the only one that showed up. Haskins and Weber are probably really the only ones that showed up on, on, on Ohio State. That punter. His two punts that that yielded uh, nine points, a, a touchdown, an extra point, and a safety. I think that those two plays were the biggest and little points in that game because at one point, you know, late in the third, almost to the fourth, you know, you take that those nine points away, it's only ten to six. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and 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 I feel like those punts and 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 the bad snap that led to. Um, the safety, the bad snap to let to uh, uh, when Rocky when Rocky was in there, and I think it was Goins that was coming over, and it and it hit off of him, and they fumbled, and got the touchdown. Those were those two plays changed the dynamic of that whole 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 uh, uh, you know game. And if those balls are touchbacks, and Michigan State starts at the twenty, I think this is a closer game than than it is, and um, I think it's just heartbreaking. I think that punter. Rightfully so, deserves player of the game because those two punts, I think, changed the course of that game and slanted it towards Ohio State. But what's your take on it? Not only that, I think he downed six punts overall inside the Michigan State 10. And you look at that and you look at Michigan State's using their third and fourth string punters, um, it plays a factor. But the biggest factor, 
is the coaches quit. The coaches quit on the players. You know, the coaches, two weeks in a row, have managed to just muff up the entire quarterback situation um, for no good reason at all. There's no reason when there's somebody who's clearly not 100%, not even close to 80%, I would say. Look, when Lewerke is completely healthy, he's better than Lombardi, but he's not anywhere near healthy. And Lombardi can make plays. Right. He can make throws. You saw uh, the, the interception Lewerke threw in the fourth quarter. He had a person open in the middle of the field. His arm was not strong enough to make that throw. If he's healthy, it is. He's clearly not healthy. And the coaches botched it against Maryland, should have started Rocky and played him the whole game, botched it against Ohio State, should have subbed Lewerke earlier, and should not have put him back in. Because you look at Lombardi, Basically, every drive Lombardi started was inside his own five-yard line, and they actually managed to get some stuff out of that one. And it's a seven-to-six game with minutes left in the third quarter. So you're, you could be going into the fourth quarter down seven-to-six, you know, and your defense has not broken the whole game. They gave up one touchdown drive, and they've stood their ground. But you just give away two points. You just give it away. They intentionally snapped that ball high out of the back of the end zone. That was an intentional move. And you know why they did it? They did it because they wanted to flip the field position game. But then they kicked the ball out of bounds, and Ohio State starts at midfield anyways. So what did you do? You just gave Ohio State two points for nothing. And, and great field and great field uh, uh, placement. So, yeah, dude, I'm with you, man. It was just – it's very uncharacteristic what we've been seeing out of um, Michigan State's coaching – and um, look, I, I don't, I don't, you know. If you punch Joe, this this is all you because I'm I, I feel for you. I'd be pissed. I'd be really pissed off if I was you. I mean, if you just punt there, you know, I see no reason why the defense doesn't stand their ground again. Kenny Wilkes was having the game of his life. Justin Lane had his best game as a Spartan. Um, obviously, Joe Bocci is Joe Bocci. Um, a lot of people will say he's not as good as Devin Bush. Who gives a shit? Like they're completely different players. That's aside from the point. The defense never gave up. You look at what the offense did. The offense beat themselves. If you go by who scored when Michigan State had the ball, Michigan State lost 10 to 6 or 9 to 6. And, yeah, most definitely. I agree with you. And you think about the two biggest games that Michigan State's played this year Michigan and Ohio State, both at home, mind you. The defense did their job, and no, those games were closer than the final score. Michigan State losing by 14 to Michigan, losing by 20 to Ohio State was a lot closer than that, but the offense only mustered seven points against Michigan, six points against Ohio State. You can't do that. Like, this defense is playing amazing right now. They shut down Ohio State for three quarters. Even when, um, even when Lewerke did throw that interception, the Michigan State defense forced a fumble and recovered it in the red zone or um, forced a field goal again on a short field. Yeah. And, you know, I just think the coaches quit. That's what I, that was my biggest takeaway from Saturday. The coaches quit. 
And not only that, people can be like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean, dude? They lost 26-6. How did they stop the defense? It's like, dude, you got to also remember, man, that time of possession, if, if State doesn't come in on the offensive end and, and have a little more time of possession, dude, you got to wear your defense out. And there's going to end up being holes. And there's going to end up being broken coverage, man. Because if that defense is on the, on the field way longer than the offense, dude, and the time of possession goes Ohio State's way like it did, Dude, those guys are running on fumes, dude. And the Michigan State's offense comes in and so fucking scatterbrained. And then, you, like, they don't even know what quarterback to put in. They put in Rocky. Rocky messes up. Oh, oh we'll put in Lewerke. Lewerke messes up. It's like, oh, we'll pull back. You know, it's like they're so scatterbrained. I feel like you guys are in the same kind of, like, annoyance I was when you, we didn't know what quarterback just throwing quarterbacks in there because one of them's injured, one of them's dinged up, one of them has to get acclimated, one of them's not. We haven't gotten this guy ready, but we're still going to throw him in. You know, it's just like, man, it's just, it seems like it's falling apart for MSU this year. I think they got, you know, an uphill battle to come to for next year. Yeah, and another thing is I discussed Jalen Naylor on our last episode, and I didn't see him on the field once against Ohio State. Like I said, he's a big play threat. Uh, he's exciting every time he touches the ball. I didn't see him once on the field, and he's not hurt. That's inexcusable. And um, you know, who, said, who, do, like, who, who does they play next? Uh, they play Nebraska, then Rutgers. Okay. But you Nebraska, like Rutgers. the Michigan State offense gave away twelve points. You see, like Michigan State. Their defense gave up the touchdown drive right before halftime. Then, then finally Lombardi played, and they drove down the field, got a field goal. Um, but you had the intentional safety. You had uh, the mistimed snap running into the uh, the runner in the end zone, recovered by Ohio State. That's nine points right there. They had another turnover deep in there. I think it was another fumble on the next drive. Michigan State defense held them to a field goal. So that's – yeah, to do the math, that's 12 points right there. Take away those 12 points, and it's um, 14 to 6. You know, it's a one-score game. Right. I, I agree with you, Joe. That's... I agree with you. It just... Yeah, I mean, you know, what else can I say? It's all on the offense. Um, right now, Michigan yeah. State, they're just playing for next year. I look at who's coming back on defense, and I get excited. Everybody's coming back except for uh, Andrew Dowell and Kari Willis at linebacker and safety. Um, LJ Sky was announced he's going to redshirt. Uh, I think I'm a fan of that move. I'm not sure. Like, if he's going to come back and be LJ Sky like he was in the bowl game a couple years ago or like he was, you know, towards the end of his sophomore and junior years, then I'm excited. But if he's just going to be fumbling the ball, getting stuffed at the line, um, I don't know. Or do we really need that fifth year out of LJ Scott? Um, I think you do need that fifth year out of Scott. LJ Scott's one. Uh, a little better with time. It takes him a little longer. Um, doesn't say anything's bad about it. I mean, right. He's a good. He's a he's a good sized running back. So it, it, this could help him. It, it could help him. And you know what? You know, uh, more power to the kid. Maybe. He, needs this extra year to, you know, actually kind of get that aha moment. Um, but, yeah, I think I think there's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle for Michigan State next year to come back um, offensively too. Lewerke 
it, I, he just needs to get better. I don't think he can get. I don't think he'd be as worse as he's been this year. Um, I, I didn't expect him to be this bad this year, especially coming off of a pretty damn solid year last year. But with all that said, man, um, yeah, I look forward to that defense coming back, Joe. But also, he that, that dude needs some weapons around him. If Felton Davis is probably going to go to the draft next year, I feel like he's a he, he's NFL ready. Oh yeah, um, he, and you don't know Cody. He's a Cody White could go well. too. You know, I, oh yeah. So Felton Davis, his time at Michigan State is done because um, he was a senior this year. Uh, Cody White will be back. Daryl Stewart will be back, but. Yeah, they got a lot of good offensive talent coming in in the next class, but it's it's irrelevant if you still got Dave Warner calling the plays. Okay. You know, the talent's okay. there. I think the skilled players are there. Uh, but it's offset by the people on the sideline making the decisions. Okay. So how do you, how do you think they do against Nebraska next week? <laughs> Um, well, you know what? The defense has only given up over 30 points once this whole season. That was to Utah State opening opening uh, opening night. And Utah State has gone on to put up like 50 points a game on people. Um, I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to be nervous a lot during the game. But I think overall, they probably win like 17 to 16 or something like that. You know, Nebraska's been playing hot. Michigan State. Had a nice showing against Maryland. I thought the Purdue game was nice. Uh, but then they come back out against Ohio State, a team that I think is not – I think Michigan State and Ohio State are not that different in terms of their teams this year, even with injuries. Even with injuries considered, I thought going in that Michigan State had a good shot to beat Ohio State. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they'll probably beat Nebraska, but it'll probably be like – 17 to 16 or 20 to 17, something like that, you know. Yeah, most definitely. But, but um, um, at hey, least Michigan there's always next year, Joe. Huh? <laughs> I said there's always next year for you, brother. That's the way I've been looking at it for the past 12 years with, with the Miami Ann Arbor boys. Right. Speaking of those Ann Arbor boys, um, hey, two straight, two straight weeks, two straight 42 to seven finishes. Um, I haven't been able to watch as much, but, you know, I think it's kind of surprising you hold Trace McSorley and Penn State to seven points. Uh, playing Rutgers, you kind of expect that. But, yeah, two straight weeks, 42 to seven both times. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, my bad. Uh, but you can go into that if you want. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Patterson had about 260, three touchdowns he threw, which, which was really, which really surprised about me is how – calm he was in the pocket you know and I understand this is a Rutgers team and will he be this this calm in the pocket I'll stay well Michigan State Wisconsin Penn State he showed up he was calm in the pocket which still pocket presence because he still he ball when he's in the pocket it's just viral but when that boy is on the run and he did it a few times when he'd roll out to his left and it's he's a right-hander. He has to do that Aaron Rodgers across the body throw. Man, he reminded me of Aaron Rodgers when he was scrambling to the left and throwing across his body and throwing darts. I mean, throwing darts across his body. And I wasn't – beginning of the season, I was 
cautiously, cautiously optimistic about Shea Patterson. But, dude, that guy every single week has gotten better and better and better, and he's taken over this offense. He's got more offense, got more comfortable in the pocket. I want to see him better out of the pocket. Run, he's dangerous. It was really good. You know, Higdon in there, keep on running like he is going. They threw in uh, Evans and a little bit of True Wilson in there, and and I like in that. I was saying this last year. I want to see more more play when they go up. I want to see more guys come in and play that don't play. And and Harbaugh's been doing that, so I I really can't say I'm upset with that. You know, um, I'm really I'm upset that McCaffrey broke his collarbone last play of the last uh, game, but. They still have uh, Milton, and they, you know they, they throw him in, in a little bit. And when he goes in, just like McCaffrey, they have such a small little sample size that we get to see. And promising, it really is promising. At Shea Patterson, this is his team right now. He's Sasha, are you there? Hold on. Uh, so we talked about it earlier, but college basketball is now back. Uh, we're two games deep for both Michigan and Michigan State. And uh, Sasha, a rematch of the national championship game this week. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we saw – you talking about uh, Duke and Kentucky? Oh, no. Um, yeah, we can talk about Duke and Kentucky. Um, I thought Duke looked scary good. I think Zion Williamson is a tank who can fly, who can dribble and shoot, do everything. And um, he's not even the best player on their team if you really look at it. <laughs> right. Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, those guys are – three starters that are probably going to go one, two, and three in the draft. I guarantee it. They have three that the three best players in the country starting for them. I'm surprised if Duke does not go undefeated in the regular season and undefeated in the tournament. It, it, yeah. it would be a big surprise to everybody. But uh, I was alluding to um, Wednesday night, we got a rematch of last year's national championship game Ooh. as uh, your Wolverines have an early season test trail for Nova. Taking on the Wildcats. Yes, and um, I watched I watched Michigan play Norfolk State. I know it's Norfolk State. I watched the Holy Cross game as well. But I honestly, honestly got to say, I really like what I see out of my squad. I, I haven't been high on the squad since Trey Burke and them. Um, I really like the lineup. They got this new dude. I, he, I don't know where he's from. His name is uh, Brazdikas. He's wearing Mo Wagner's 13. He is their big man shooter, European guy. I like it. Uh, Teske, 7-1, and he's in the middle and just causing. I love what Matthews does. Great playmaker, great scorer. These are guys to the tournament. Um, they have They have the experience to do it, and they have – People like Livers, that's going to be a great playmaker off the bench, score off the bench, and they have this dude named Brooks, who's a great shooter off the bench. I like what I see out of my Michigan 
Wolverines. I haven't seen it since the the Trey Burke uh, Michigan squad. And plus, Beeline is just such a great coach. I think they stand really good at where they're at at number 19. Wednesday, they do take on number nine, Villanova. I think it'll be the hugest test for them because they handle them pretty pretty well, handily. What I don't like to see is the, the, them go six for 26 from three-point land. You know what I'm saying? Three-pointers should never be the end-all, be-all for you. If three-pointers not working, there's going to be another way to score. I hope they start realizing that um, because you're not going to be able to – Go six six twenty six against Villanova and think you get a win. Um, other than that, man, I really like my Michigan uh, Wolverines this year. Um, I think there's a lot of good playmakers on the team. I'm very impressed with them. Um, I want to see what uh, Beeline can do because you know sky's the limit, and I, I really do like the squad. They're they're young. They're they're a mix of young uh, new guys came in, some old guys that are that have gone through the tournament that have gone late have experience and you know they really they really um get behind what beeline is coaching and you know they're buying it so i i I think there's a really high ceiling for michigan basketball this year yeah um i haven't been able to watch michigan yet um yeah michigan state opened the season against kansas who was ranked number one at the time um you know, they fell behind by as much as 17 early in the second half, but, you know, they didn't quit. They didn't quit. I, I liked what I saw in the resilience that they have. Like, they're down in terms of star power. You got no Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson, and but they're up in experience. And I think that showed last week against Kansas when they didn't fall into the bucket when, you know, when they were down 17 to an extremely talented Kansas team. Um, they fought back. They got it to within three points, uh, I believe. And, you know, they did lose by five. And my biggest takeaway is free throws and turnovers. I think they missed 11 free throws in the first half against Kansas alone. Um, I thought they had some sloppy turnovers, which you can expect early on in the season. But, you know, I'm almost more comfortable when I see them lose to a, a Kansas or a Duke early on than, uh, you know, if they win that game. I'm kind of weird like that. Um, I, I see the makings of a classic Izzo team. I want to see – I want to wait until their game against UCLA on Thanksgiving night uh, to really have more judgment on this team. But they look like a right. high-scoring group. I want to see more defensively. Um, you know, last night they beat Florida Gulf Coast, I think, 106 to 82. Hey, it's nice that you put up 106. Yes, it is. Nice that you put up 106 points, man. That's cool. But, um, you know, you gave up 92 to Kansas and then 80, uh, 82 to uh, Florida Gulf Coast. I, I want to see more defense out of you, you know. And I think they got some good defensive players like Kenny Goins on the team. Yeah, most definitely. And I like what you said about them having really no star power but more experience because they kind of playmakers or any kind of like standouts on that team. Uh, last year, you know, I, I made a comment about Nick Ward not being as conditioned. This year, he looks more conditioned. He was running up and down the court on Uza. I can't say the guy's last name. Uza Badodi, whatever Azabuki. his name is. He plays for Kansas. And Azabuki, right. He was looking winded. Nick Ward was not. Nick Ward was running up and down the court, and Nick Ward looks fabulous. I just don't think Nick Ward is able to take him over the hump this year. Um, I, 
I've said in the past, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unbiased when it comes on the basketball side. I really don't see too much out of this Michigan State team. I think they big time losing matches, losing Jared Jackson to the NBA was a big hit for them because I don't see anybody that can ever, you know, win the game needs to tilt left or right. Um, Langford, yeah. Um, I don't see, I don't see. Uh, taking over a game, I don't see McQuaid or Goins taking over a game. I, I don't see like it. a, a to. I see. I can see Winston doing that. I've seen him do it before, uh, a little bit last year, and I think now it is more his team. You know, he doesn't have to. Um, he doesn't have to play to the star power. You know, like when you got players like Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson on your team, you kind of have to feature them in the offense more because they are the big stars. Um. You know, he did miss a big layup against Kansas on Tuesday that could have um, that could have gotten them within one point, I think, in the final minute. I'd be shocked to see him miss that again. I'm not saying he's going to be like a superstar, you know, triple-double Denzel Valentine type player, but I think he is their best bet to be that type of player. And I, I think more often than not, he will step up to the challenge. You see, what I get out of Winston is he plays he plays really good when he's not playing against elite point guards. When he plays against someone as good, he plays really shitty. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't take the shots he needs to take. I always said that he's kind of awkward to me. He plays the game awkward, which isn't bad. We've seen awkward play. You know what I'm saying? Sean Marion had probably the most awkwardest shot in NBA history. Right, right. Just don't see Winston being that guy. I, right now, just being Nick Ward's team. I think Nick Ward is gonna be the needs to be the guy to take over because this is obviously his last year. He has a point to prove. He's an undersized big man. He needs to uh, really prove himself to get a you know a stock jump in the draft. So you I I feel you're gonna see a lot a lot of hustle, a lot of heart, a lot of soul out of Nick Ward that he has a good supporting cast around him. And it's and it's and it's sad to say because you're talking about one of the best, you know, basketball programs to do it in NCAA history. Probably one of the best coaches to do it. I just don't think they have the chops to go to 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 go far into the tournament. I, like I said, last last year was Izzo's opportunity to win the championship. When you have studs like like Miles who are doing awesome in the NBA, we got studs like Jared Jackson who are doing awesome in the NBA. He should have used his more. I was saying it last year. They should have gone to Jared Jackson more, man, because I feel, I feel like they would have gone to Jared Jackson more. They would have gone deeper into the NCAA tournament, if not won it. I just think that – it's not going to happen with this year's squad. Well, I'm not. I don't think they're championship contenders, a national championship contenders. Um, I think anybody who says that is really drinking the green Kool Aid unreasonably. Um, you know, I, I think it's the kind of team that can be like that 2014, 2015 team that was sloppy, um, that wasn't as talented, but you know. Travis Trice and Brandon Dawson realized that their careers were ending, you know, and they really started to click somewhere in mid-February. 
And, you know, you got just enough energy from the freshmen, like Tum Tum Nairn when he was a freshman that year. You know, my expectations for this team aren't huge, but I don't think they're going to be some uh, easy knockout for play- teams like Purdue and Michigan. Um, because I don't think – I think actually not having Bridges and Jackson in your corner, you can't rely on them. I think a lot of players took a secondary role last year when now they're going to have to take that primary role. Now they know they're going to have to step up where last year they could defer. I think we saw, excuse me. I think we saw like Cassius Winston and Josh Langford defer a lot in big moments last year when I think they're talented enough to be the big dog, um, you know, when it matters. You know what I'm saying? And Nick Ward, Nick yeah. Ward's not going to. Like, yeah. Sorry. Nick Ward's not going to face uh, a player like Azabuki again until the NCAA tournament, you know? I think I think Nick Ward yeah, has think, conditioned himself. I think he wants to play a lot more minutes this year, and it showed through two games so far. Um, that I think he's going to be on the floor more if he can control his fouls, and I think he is going to be putting up numbers like the big dog. Big dog. Yeah, most definitely. I think. I, right. I think. I think. I think Nick Ward is right now is your guys's main player. He's, he's, he's your highlight player. Yeah. And if, to me, this is, this, this is all opinion. And if Michigan State wants to go further, they're going to have to play go-to-work Detroit Pistons-esque basketball. Oh, yeah. Because they don't have that, they don't have that guy to rely on. So you're right. They're going to have to step up and play major roles. And they're going to have to not just play major roles on the offensive end, the defensive end, everywhere in between. You know what I'm saying? Because they don't have that superstar, I feel, to, to – to take over that team when it's, when it's really needed, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's not, it's not a knock to state. It's just that they're going to really need to step up. Cause like you said, they're not going to have, they're not, they, they don't have that scapegoat in the bridges and Jackson to go to, you know? And I don't think that uh, Nick Ward is going to be that, you know, go to, you know, scoring machine every single time. You know what I'm saying? I think he's going to be, a, a huge part of their offense, but I think they're gonna if if they want to go and have a successful season, it's gonna be the go to work Pistons esque type of basketball that they're gonna need to play. Yeah, um, you know, Sasha, I agree with you one hundred percent. Um, and I think that I think Cassius, Cassius Winston is gonna have to grow into the role of uh, you know, if we're talking about the go to work Pistons, he's gonna have to grow into that Chauncey Billups type of leader. I think he has that ability in him. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think he has the ability in him, but he's never had to reach deep down and get it out of himself, you know? And I think this year he's going to be forced to. Like, I I want Michigan State to be losing, like, two, three, four games before, you know, before January is over. I want that, you know, because it's all about building towards the end of the year. And I want them to be forced to win games with grit and rebounding. Izzo joked about breaking out the football pads and practice again, like he used to with Mateen Cleaves and the Maurice Ager teams, you know? And I would be thrilled if he yeah. did that. I would be thrilled if he broke out the football pads, ran the war drill where you just got to get a rebound until the whistle. Nothing's going to get called. You just grab that rebound. That's what I want to see from this team. So I think that's a, a an astute analogy, Sasha. Astute. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. But 
Yeah, man, it's just uh, – and, and also the biggest factor is there that you have a great coach, you know what I'm saying? And and that coach <clears throat> and Izzo is really going to have to get fiery this year. You know what I'm saying? I don't oh, think yeah. he – I think he needs to stay – I think he needs to – coachable moments. I, I feel like that cost him the tournament last year is almost him because, you know, poo-poo to you. It's like, okay, poo-poo to you, you saw the fucking game. What are you teaching? Right. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he does those teachable moments. It, it doesn't work. Let, let, let your studs play. Your studs are going to play, man. Shooters are going to shoot. They're going to have their off games, but they're going to shoot. They're going to make it. Drivers are going to drive. Dunkers are going to dunk. It, that's just the name of the game. Not everyone can be there 100% of the time. Again, people are going to have bad games. Don't don't use them as coachable moments and poo-poo these kids because, it, to me, you know, it, it might have worked in the Bobby Knight-esque era and you know, in earlier in Izzo's era, but these kids, they don't respond to negative reinforcement, you know? So I've, I feel like it's still, it's still needed, but I think he, he needs to get rid of his little stupid coachable moments. And, and he, he needs to and I think they'll be pretty bit. good this year. He needs to adjust himself a little bit. Yeah. I think he felt sorry for himself a lot last year. Um, you know, not with the whole scandal thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, after the Syracuse game when they lost, and I thought that loss was totally on him. You remember me talking about it. You know, he was like, oh, I feel so terrible for this team. Yeah, well, it's your fault. You got to grow from it. You got to adjust. I think he knows that. Um, You know, he talked about it at the Big Ten Media Days. He said, you know, a lot of things went wrong against Syracuse, but the coach was terrible, talking about himself. When When I saw that quote, I was very encouraged. Maybe it's just me being uh, the optimist when it comes to Michigan State basketball. Because, you know, Michigan State basketball, that's what it's all about to me. You know, if the Dolphins lose all their games, the Red Wings lose all their games, but Michigan State wins the championship in basketball, I'll be okay. I'll be happy. You know, it's all about (laughs) Michigan State basketball to me. That's what I grew up on being – that was my pride. I would wear Michigan State basketball on my chest, you know. Um, Like you said – this team, like we've said all episode long, this team isn't as talented, but they do got the experience. I think they need to have that grit. That's why I'm excited to see them play a ranked team in UCLA, and then the next night they're going to play either Texas or North Carolina. Those two games I think are going to say a lot. Um, yes. You got to be able to rebound the ball. You got to know you, you, you can't have the messy turnover as a mistake, and you got to make free throws. Um but, yeah, I think towards the end of the year, they should be playing smarter basketball. And it seems like a team that's really tight-knit and close. Um, you know, I'm interested I'm, – I'm very interested to watch this team because it's kind of like Michigan State football last year when we didn't really know what we had coming into the year. You remember? Yeah. Most definitely, yeah. Especially off, especially off all the um... – the the people that were leaving because of the scandal or the, the sexual harassment stuff. And, you know, we're like, oh, my God, this, this team is depleted. And they ended up being better than everyone expected. So, yeah, I think I think Michigan State, this basketball team, Nick Ward is going to be the X factor for you guys. Yeah. Um, how he plays, he looked he looked really good against Kansas. And <clears throat> this time last year, I was telling you, he's fat and out of shape. And, you know, it, to me, it kind of showed uh, through the season. Now, dude, the dude looks in shape in the fourth quarter. He's running down the floor where Azabuki is gulping like a fish and trotting. So I, I look at those big differences because 
having that kind of conditioning later on in the season and in the tournament when you're playing, you know, games that are racked off back-to-back, you know, I'm saying two days, three days, four days, you know, and then you get further in the tournament, so they do it further apart. Right. But it's going to get to the point where it's going to be like your conditioning is going to play a huge role. And I think Nick Ward, if he keeps on his conditioning like he's been doing in the offseason and, and, and keeps on doing it, I think he's going to be the big, big, big guy for you. But he's going to need more of a supporting cast Cass Winston needs to come in and, and, and it's gonna be go to work grit basketball. That's what Michigan State has to play, in my opinion, to go forward. Michigan on the other end, don't rely so much on the best on the three point basketball. Play play nose up uh, good zone defense. Cause I know B line can bust out that two three zone. It's really nice when they run it. You can go six from twenty-six from the from three-point land against Spartans. You're not going to do it against the Michigan State Spartans. You get what I'm saying? Right. That's that's like really what I want to see from both programs. Right. For me, um, I think Michigan has two dogs like D A W G S and uh, Charles Matthews and Xavier Simpson. I think those are going to be the two guys to do it because they're defensively, like I said, they're dogs. You know. They might not be able to make the the huge plays on offense, even though I do think Charles Matthews is a great athlete and a good shooter. Um, but defensively, that's where those two are going to live, Xavier Simpson and Charles Matthews for Michigan. Like, when I watch Xavier Simpson, I'm actually kind of jealous. Like, if I could handpick one player off U of M's team, I think I would take Xavier Simpson just because of what he can do on the defensive side and his mentality. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. He's a little scrapper. He's a scrapper. I, I love him. Um, he has that kind of mentality to, to me that, like, you know, you know, Marcus, Marcus Smart uh, for the Celtics. I love Marcus Smart. He's a grit player. He's one of those guys that you say, hey, man, you want to go to war? Yeah, I want Marcus on my side because, you know, that guy's going to go to war for you. Yeah, I see. We see that guy, you know, for the Celtics. You know, when someone manhandles one of his players, he's in there. He doesn't give a crap how, how big they are. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I really like about Xavier Simpson. His grit might not have – doesn't have the best shot. He's not a good sh- a good distance shooter. But everything else, he does pretty solid. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just excited to see what he does. I, I hope his, uh, his, his shooting has <clears throat> stepped up a little bit because I think that was his – I don't think I know that is his weakest. Um, yeah. But other than that, man. I yeah. think looking at both teams, I think they can both be very good teams, and that's when I think times are most exciting in the state of Michigan. Uh, you know, you look at 2012, Michigan and Michigan State shared the Big Ten championship. Uh, 2013, I thought both teams were very good, and Michigan made the run to the championship game. Uh, 2014, Michigan won the Big Ten Championship. The Michigan State won the uh, Big Ten Tournament. They both got to the Elite Eight. You think about that three-year stretch, that was just such a fantastic time to be a fan in the state of Michigan because both teams were competitive with each other. And I think they split the series overall in those years. And uh, you look at last year, you know, Michigan State won 30 games in the Big Ten title. Michigan won the Big Ten Tournament and got to the Final Four. You know, this is when it's most exciting is when both of those teams are producing. I think even more football. Right. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Because right now, I think our squads are closer to talent 
and being a good program in basketball than they are in football right now. That's an obvious, you know? Yeah. So, you know, Joe, you, me, me and you, Joe, we, we make that transition from football because we're fans of both. Those, I think those are two, our two favorite sports. If the, the, for, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but for me, football and basketball are my favorite sports. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I, I think it's exciting to see, you know, the the balances kind of come evenly. You know what I'm saying? The, the scales is kind of tipped and it's kind of even. And I think we have a, a, a good – a good topic to go on when we come back on with Mike about, you know, is your, is your school a basketball or football school? Because I think that dynamic has changed heavily over the past decade, 15 years. So I think it's good for us to get into what you think about that. So I can't wait for that episode either. So I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, if we have a little bit of time, do you want to talk about the lions? I mean, yeah, we can talk a little bit about the Lions. I'm really sick of seeing them. Um, everyone's turning around and saying, see, that's why we don't get rid of uh, Golden Tate. Yeah, but the, the problem is still does not lie with Golden Tate being here. The problem lies with Matthew Stafford and the fact that that guy cannot scheme. And Jim Bob Cooter simplifies the offense for, for this guy. And it's just so easy to read every single play because everything's simplified because – Stafford, I believe, does not have the capacity in his mind to scheme like if we had a a Rams type or a Chiefs type offense. I just, I just think it's time we start looking elsewhere. I don't. I think Stafford it has been here way too long. Two three years ago, we should have started making this move, and I think Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are kind of leaning that way as well. I think well. so. Yeah, you know, yesterday. Yes, their game against Chicago yesterday was not as close as it looks. And you look at a 12-point game, you think, well, it wasn't that close. It must have been terrible. It was terrible. They were down 34-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and then Stafford did what he does. He pads the stats. He decides to be a beast. He leads them on two touchdown drives, and it looks like it's an actually okay game from Stafford. That's what he does. Yeah, I mean, he, he's infamous for doing that. But the fact is, is that – the Fords and Martha Ford loves him so much yeah. and this, that, and the third. But me personally, bro, if I was Matt Patricia, I'd come in, I'd be like, that's done, dude. Cooter, you're out. You know, Stafford, you're going to be out too, buddy. I just got to find a reason for you to leave. Don't come in and say, hey, we're going to fire our special teams coach. Like, really? That's the big announcement you have is that, oh, yeah, we're making some personnel change. Uh, we're firing our special teams coach. It's like, pa, Really? <laughs> You fucking kidding me, dude? Like, 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 don't come and tell me that you know the problem is your special teams. Your problem isn't your special teams, man. The problem is your quarterback. Your offensive scheming sucks. You know what I'm saying? This isn't 1980s, 1990s uh, football, man. You know what I'm saying? This is different schemes. This is you know RPOs. This is end arounds, double end arounds, sweeps. Right. You know. Uh, uh, flea flickers, hook and land. This, this, the, this is the time because we have such lenient rules on quarterbacks in the NFL now. This is the time to play showtime football, right. man. This is the time. You know what I'm saying? And like, I don't see it out of our guys. It's dull. It's boring. I don't want to see it anymore. I want a dynamic quarterback in scheme who can come up to a lot of things waste the whole 24 second clock snap it at one second so the whole 
defense knows when to fucking rush. Right. You know, it's just it's getting annoying. I mean, I've been doing this for thirty years. It's 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 like a broken record. Yeah, like week one, you had Jets players calling out the plays that the Lions were about to run. Like, I can't right. think of another situation where that has happened in the NFL. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be difficult to get rid of Stafford uh, just because of the money that he's owed. Um, but, yeah, it's another it's another game where his defenders can be like, no, look, his stats were so good. He did this and that, blur. Like, when, it, when the game matters, I don't want Matthew Stafford as my quarterback. No. Most definitely not, dude. He's at a – go on. I think you got a lot of people outside of Detroit stepping up and saying it now, you know, like Rich Gannon, like um, another pro quarterback, I forgot his name, who used to play a lot. Boomer. Yeah. You know, you got those people from outside media stepping up and saying, hey, you know what, I don't think Stafford can get it done even on a small-scale level. And then you got Stafford's friends pushing back, like, oh, but he gives his heart to this city. It's like, well, he plays football. Like, he doesn't really do that much. Like, Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know what? Uh, you, you, hey, Stafford, here's your heart back. Give me some Super Bowls, bro. Give a fuck what you do for the city. You know what I'm saying? He's not going out there. It's, 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 not, it's not like he gets – And what are you doing for the city it's like, if it's you like want to fall back on that? What are you – like – are you donating millions to charity? We know you got some to spare. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, giving your heart to the city, just because you're a, a, a pro athlete, I mean, like, get real. Let, let, let's be honest, right? These pro athletes get paid millions of dollars to play a child sport. Yeah. To play a child sport. You, you're, you're, you're not curing cancer. You're not saving people from freaking brain tumors. You're playing a sport. And – and albeit people love the sport, they, 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 you know, they love to watch it. You know, they have a, a, an affinity for their team. Yes, that and the third. But in the, in, in, the, in the long scheme of things, your job isn't to give your heart to the city. Your job is to get fucking rings on your finger and bring the Lombardi to the 313 area code. Other than that, nobody gives a shit what you do. I don't give a shit what you do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you know. He does do stuff charity-wise, this, that, and the third, and you know what I'm saying? But dude's a multimillionaire. He can afford to do that. I would love to be a philanthropist. If I was a multi-multimillionaire, I'd be a philanthropist because what am I going to do with all this fucking money? You know what I'm saying? I'd make sure my kids and my family was all retired. Other than that, I'd, I'd give all my money away to charity because the, the, the government's going to come tax it anyway. Right. So uh, that, that, that's fine. You're a multimillionaire. You're a philanthropist. Ooh, do you want me to fucking kiss your feet because you have money to fucking spare and give to people? No. Bro, I'll kiss your feet if you bring fucking Super Bowls home. Right. You know, Tom Brady, Tom Brady can start for the Patriots for the next 10 years, lose fucking big, and people will still love him because he's brought them five fucking Super Bowls. And you know what, says, you know what speaks a lot to me? Is um, they got rid of Eric Ebron for scraps, and Eric Ebron was viewed as trash in Detroit. Am I right? Right. People, the fans in Detroit hated Eric Ebron. But what is he doing in Indiana? In killing it. He's killing it. He is making plays all over the place. We saw him score a rushing touchdown the other day. Yes, he did. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it's. And, and it seems to be like a narrative in Detroit. We have these good players, 
you know, and we're not using them properly. And like, I can, I, I'll name, I'll name you three players right now. Averill, Cliff Averill, he leaves, goes to Seattle. They win a championship. Yep. We draft Vanoy. We don't play Vanoy. Vanoy goes over to New England, starts, wins a championship. And you traded him for scraps. And Jennifer Scraps, Eric Ebron, oh, he can't catch. Eric E dropped this, that, and the third, that, that, and the third. And he goes over to Indianapolis, and he plays with an elite quarterback and a dude catching touchdowns every single week. And not just touchdowns. I mean, he's getting yardage. He got two touchdowns yesterday. Come on. When's the last time we had a tight end to catch two touchdowns and, and run one? When's the last time we got a wide receiver to do that? When's the last time we even got a player to do that? Yeah. I'm fed up with I'm fed up with the Lions. I've been fed up with them for 30 years. I I, I remain op, op, cautiously optimistic because it's my city and I have no other friggin' pro football team to root for. But they just need a whole overhaul, man. Bob Quinn and uh, uh, Matt Patricia should be the only ones left in the in in the faculty. Uh, uh, and Stafford needs we need to figure out and do something with him. You know, give him his money, let him fucking walk if that's the case, because he's not the man to do it, dude. Right. Yeah, I think there is a lack of accountability on the Lions roster right now, and it does all fall to Mellow Matt. He's just Mellow Matt Stafford. Yeah. And you know what? You know he's he's so good friends with uh with uh Kershaw, to be honest with you. Matt Stafford should have played baseball because he has the mentality to play baseball. He has that personality to play baseball. He doesn't have that killer instinct NFL football. uh, Even though he's good at it, that's whatever. He just does not have that personality. He should have stuck to baseball. I will say this in defense of Stafford. He's a lot better than Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler is a stupid bitch. Yeah, but Brock Osweiler is also you guys' backup because your starter is hurt. You know what I'm saying? So – you know, so 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 that that even adds more fuel to fire, Joe. When you're comparing Stafford to a fucking backup, <laughs> I just had to you know say what it saying? because you know I had to say it because I watched the Dolphins and Packers yesterday. The first drive of the game, the Dolphins are moving the ball. They're inside the red zone. Brock Osweiler fumbles the snap, snap, and he he can't even fall on it right. He falls in the opposite direction of the football. That, I saw that. I was that like, was kind of funny, though. I saw that. I was like, you can't even fall on the football correctly? You're a stupid bitch, Brock Osweiler. <laughs> I wouldn't have any. That's funny, though. No. I just had I, I, Yeah, Joe, I think we kind of <laughs> – I feel you, Joe. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I think we kind of covered everything and kind, kind of got far. But um, hopefully next uh, episode we have Mike to come in so we can have that great question. I think it's, a, it's such a good topic that we can use. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, for uh, next episode, hopefully we'll have uh, Mike O back on. And, yeah, the question was, is your school, Michigan State for me, Michigan for you guys, is your school a football or basketball school? And you can't say both. You cannot say both. That's fair enough. Anyways, like you said, I think we covered a lot. Um, once again, RIP to Stan Lee. Um, we love you. We lived a full life, and uh, we're thankful for everything he contributed. And uh, we obviously we talk about his stuff on our show all the time. Yep, RIP Stan the Man um, from from Beers for Radio. Thank you for everything you've done for us. 
I, I don't think that man will to go to go to his deathbed knowing that how many people actually actually thank that man for everything that he's done. He's made my childhood awesome. So yeah, you're right. From Beards to Radio, rest in peace, Stan. I'm Sasha. And I'm Joe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. This episode of the Beards for Radio podcast is brought to you by Farbar. Handmade, dyed, screen printed, and sewn products like hats, shirts, hoodies, and more. 100% original designs. This is a self-made small business started locally by Ypsilanti native and a good friend of mine, Farbar Bagarpur. These products are high quality, groundbreaking, best fashion possible, and will ship to you as soon as he can do it. Visit far-ebar.com to check out the next great addition to your wardrobe. Do it for me, do it for the beards, do it for my man Farbar.